Now, have you ever been told that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint? A marathon, not a sprint. Have you been told that? It's a few nods, lots of yeses. Um, it's true, and it is helpful. But my problem with it, at least when it's been said to me, and it's been said to me since I was a child for decades, is it's always said by people who look like they enjoy running marathons. <laughs> That's my problem with it. I have a friend on, on Facebook, so a deep, close and personal friend uh, who I've not seen for 20 years, who was a perfectly normal human being when I knew him in his 20s. And 10 years ago, he took up fell running. Um, do you know fell running? So fell running is marathons in the mountains. So you run up and down cliffs and you run in the freezing cold and the wet when you're nearly dead. And um, in the photos... There is a sort of gleam of eager joy in Julian's eyes in the photos before he starts. And then there's the photo at the finish line. And there is a, a medal in one hand and a glowing sense of achievement all over him. And he doesn't even have the decency to look tired uh, at the end of all of that. Now, he is, I think, the kind of person who stands up to preach and says, the Christian life, let me tell you, is a marathon, not a sprint. Well... Um, the book of Revelation that we're beginning tonight is about endurance. Uh, endurance. Look at 1 verse 10 on page 1, 2, 3, 3. Chapter 1 verse 10. John the writer, he says, um, effectively, you and I, we are brothers and companions in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. But we are beginning the, the New Year at All Souls not with um, sort of the Bible equivalent of the shiny new pair of trainers for people who already love marathons, but with realistic help from a brother and a companion. Uh, he's writing from exile. He tells us he's uh, on the island of Patmos. He's in prison there. And he writes about the kingdom that we share, certainly the kingdom. He loves Jesus, and he loves Jesus' kingdom. And he writes about the kingdom, but also about the suffering and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. He writes to those gasping with the pain of endurance as we seek to be faithful witnesses 2 verse 10, verse 9, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Um, that's what put him in prison, was the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And John writes because he has letters to deliver. Verse uh, 11, um, write and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are seven real places in modern Turkey, seven churches, John knew well, they're all not very far from Patmos. And if you just turn the page, you'll see their letters. Um, two chapters, ready for us, uh, those seven places in order, and we're going to look at those in the next three Sundays. And that is what was intended by John. The fact that we're reading them, that is what he intended, intended to be read by a much wider audience, each letter. Blessed is anyone, verse 3, who reads this. 
But also in Revelation, you may know, numbers have symbolic meanings. And seven, that is the number that means completeness. So these seven churches, they represent all of the churches, all of the companions in endurance, all the ones facing this marathon that it may be we are not enjoying. And John has letters from someone who we should really, really want to hear from. Uh, Someone who is described in chapter 1 using language taken from Daniel 7 about the Ancient of Days and Daniel 10 about the messenger of God. But by verse 18, it's clear that this glowing, terrifying, brilliant figure is Jesus. Verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. So this week, tonight, this is about introducing the letter writer before we spend three weeks reading the letters, uh, introducing Jesus, the one who's going to be speaking to us over the next three weeks. And I've struggled with everything that's in chapter one to find a way of making that clear, but I've tried to capture um, in two headings what John is trying to say. So we can have a slide up. Um, That is what I'm trying to say. We are the companions in endurance. And today we learn Jesus, he is so powerful, he is God, but also he is so close. He is right with us. Now, aren't those striking things to emphasize to companions in suffering and endurance? Uh, Famously, atheists, they've argued that you could only accept suffering in our world if, um, well, either God was not powerful, not powerful enough to stop it, or if God was not loving enough to care. And uh, in chapter 1, 2, and 3, there's no sort of explicit discussion of that question, but there is zero embarrassment about suffering, power, and love all in the same place. Um, Seven letters, seven times, Jesus says, I know, I know, I know what it is like to live where you do. I know what they do to you. I know your response. I know about the slander. I know your afflictions. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you have little strength, yet you have not denied my name. And the one who writes, he is powerful, so powerful, and he is close, close enough to know everything. And he cares so much about his people, but he calls us to endure just for a little longer. I think it's clearest in the the second letter, the letter to Smyrna. He says, I know your suffering. I know about the slander. I'm close enough to know and loving enough to care, and I am powerful. And so we'd think the next line would be, well, so it's going to stop. The suffering will stop now that someone has brought this to my attention. Jesus will make it stop. But that is not what he says. He says, be faithful even to the point of death. 
So it's really important in this real life that we live that we know about the one who speaks to us, the one who writes to us in these letters. So before we meet next week, um, before we have those three weeks listening to Jesus, and he'll speak to all the churches, which means certainly he will speak to all souls. Uh, There'll be things in those letters that we need to reflect on. Um, Please spend this week, if you will, if you have the time, reflecting on Jesus the one who will be speaking to us. Spend some time in the kind of things that we're going to look at tonight. So let me take you through. We'll start with so powerful, and then we'll move on to so close. So look down at verse 13, and let me read some of the description of Jesus again. So among the lampstands was one like a son of man. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Now, if you tried to picture all of that as I read it or as Victor read it earlier, then um, you'll probably have some sympathy with John, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. As I said, what we've got here, it is Daniel 7 crushed into Daniel 10 with bits of added Exodus and Isaiah. Take it with verse 7 and with verse 8. And this is the full Old Testament package. Jesus is the almighty God. And the visions, they are vivid in the same way that our dreams are vivid. And for the same reason. It's because every detail here is a a connection, is an idea. And you're not supposed to wonder how someone with a sword in his mouth can speak, uh, let alone roar as loudly as a waterfall and still be heard and understood. Um, The point is for us to look and understand and understand who is really powerful in this world. Um, The book of Revelation is a, a peeling back of the curtain. Normally, we we can only see what we can see. Normally, all we can see is which human being is the most powerful one. And in John's world, it looks like Rome is in charge, and everything bows to the people with the money and the power and the armies. Uh, In the visual language of Revelation, the, the world of the beasts and of the dragon, and they are powerful and they are in charge. And whether or not you're a Christian here this evening, um, that is the world we all see, we all live in. And it is brutal, and it is terrifying. And in particular, if you are a Christian, Revelation tells us about a world where if they don't like your testimony about Jesus, well, then it feels like you would be better hiding and better denying. That's what you see when you look at the world around us. But what this book does is it it peels back the curtain and says there is something more real. There is a throne, 
that is more real than all the emperors and presidents and dictators in this world. And that throne, it belongs to Almighty God, and he shares it with his son, his ever-living son, who shares it with his people. And every one of the, the seven letters that we're going to look, like, look at, each one, it begins with a reminder of something from chapter 1. Something to remind you who it is who's speaking to you. And then every letter, every letter ends with an idea from the last two chapters of the book, which is to say an idea, a glimpse of the future new creation where we will be with Jesus, the person in chapter 1, forever. So during this week, um, I think it's overwhelming, chapter 1, maybe just pick a line or two to pray into, to think about deeply, something to take into work with you and to hold up against everything that looks powerful in our worlds. Compare them to Jesus. So let me just develop um, a couple of ideas very briefly from chapter 1. So verse 17, think about Jesus as first and last. Um, he's God. That's what it means. Verse 8 says the same. Jesus, he is the, the first letter of reality's alphabet. He is every letter in between all the way through to the last one. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is, he always has been, and he always will be. Which means nothing surprises him. No COVID, no invading superpowers, no changes in philosophical fashions. Nothing surprises him. Nothing is able to get ahead of him. Nothing is able to catch him out. It also means no changes with this one. A promise that he made 2,000 years ago that is still cutting into the fabric of reality because his voice is a sort and still roaring into our ears because his voice is a thundering waterfall. He doesn't change. He is and he always will be. And that means there is no one else to compare him to. In Isaiah, all the language of first and last, it's about how different God is from every other power or person. Jesus has no rivals, no one to be afraid of, no one who could make him reconsider, no one who could force him to negotiate. Jesus is God. Um, when I was a, a small boy in the local primary school playground, there was this thing about who your dad was. Um, did you have that? I think the idea was that you could only be mean to me if you were confident that your dad could beat up my dad. I think that's how it worked. Um, so like, my dad is really strong, my dad's really tall. Um, and um, I could have minded that, because um, my dad was dead, and if he hadn't been dead, he'd have been 57, which isn't great for the, you know, the beating people up stuff. But um, in the playground, I could talk about my brother, um, particularly on the days when my brother dropped me off at school. My brother was 20, and he, he was big. Uh, like um, rugby scrum big, my brother. And my brother was in the army. don't know why that counted so much. That, yeah, I'm not sure the army give out guns for, you know, kind of playground stuff. But, um, and in an army full of rugby scrum big people, my brother played rugby for his regiment. Um, would your dad like to meet my brother? That was the um, kind of conversation we had. Jesus, 
Uh, Jesus is so powerful. So when he says, verse 17, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. And in fact, um, even if they go beyond threatening you in the playground and being mean to you, if they threaten you with death, well, in verse 18, you need to know that death in particular is his wheelhouse, is the place where he is the boss. And they killed him. They tried to end him. And now, verse 5, he is the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, Back in verse 18, now he is alive forever and ever. And not just alive, he's not just the one who defeated death. I hold the keys of death and Hades. He makes all of the decisions about death and about what happens after. He is God's. He is living, he is powerful, he is in charge of death. And he is also the human being who did everything human right. Uh, Even the very hardest thing that he then calls us to do. He's done them all. He suffered, he died. Verse 5, he is the faithful witness who told the truth to the rulers of his city even when it cost him his life. He refused to deny the word of God. He is so powerful. But all of that, I think, would be not much comfort if Jesus was where most people imagine him to be. If he was um, somewhere you know, far away in heaven, distant and disconnected, not really clear on what life is like for us, um, you know, needing updates from us, needing to be shouted at to get his attention. So again, before we meet next week, before we read the seven letters, please reflect on our second point. Reflect on how close John says Jesus is. So point two, so close. Look at verse nine again. Uh, John is on Patmos and he hears a voice, verse 10, telling him to deliver seven letters, verse 11, verse 12. I turned round to see the voice who was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw, and what would you have put first? Um, We've already been through lots of the rest of the verses. There is this great, big, scary, glowing fire creature standing there with a sword coming out of its mouth. But verse 12, when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Odds. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. So the the great vision, the great revelation, the great peeling back of the curtain, it begins with Jesus among some lampstands. And verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. And uh, people get very het up about Revelation as if it was full of um, big secrets that only can be unlocked by people with very big brains or very big insight or very big channels on YouTube. But um, verse 20, verse 20, John is told what this means and he wants us to know what it means. Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Um, Stunning, isn't it? 
as a picture of Jesus. He is the almighty Lord and God. He has always existed and he always will. He looks like the sun in all its brilliance. He's beaten death and he has the keys to its doors and he spends his time hanging around in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And now Ephesus was quite a big place, quite impressive. And um, you know, Laodicea, that's nice. The, um, the springs at Laodicea, they impressed me when I went as a tourist in the 80s, which is about when they realized that too many tourists were ruining them. So if you go now, they're ruined. Sorry, uh, I went there in the 80s. But um, Jesus, Jesus, he is not a tourist visiting impressive places. And he does not impress easily. And he doesn't need to be in Smyrna or Sardis. Um, I don't know what kind of places really they were, what that would have triggered in your brain. Two people this morning talked to me about Hendon, uh, which I'm sure is a, a lovely place. In fact, it is. I've been to Hendon. They've got the um, RAF Museum, haven't they, with the Spitfires. And it's quite fun. You can sit in them. But you wouldn't expect Jesus to hang out in Hendon or Shepton Mallet. That's where I grew up. Uh, or Pergamon, or Thyatira, which is the point. Jesus, he is not somewhere far away, telling us what to do with no real idea of what it is like. He is, by the Spirit, among his churches. Each letter, I know. He knows what we are like, and he knows what it is like as we try to live out our life of patient endurance. Um, He knows what it was like in your family over Christmas. He knows what it is like in your office or in your van. He knows what it is like in your heart. And he knows what it is like at all souls. Which um, has its own power to terrify, doesn't it? Uh, Not every one of the seven letters is positive. And they represent all of the churches, so we will find all souls there in those letters. Um, In particular, he is very good at knowing what the reality is underneath the reputation of a church or a life. But overwhelmingly, Jesus being close, this is comfort and joy. Because the, the powerful one who is so close to us is present with us as the one who loves. And if you don't have time this week to dwell on any other verse in Revelation chapter 1, then make it chapter 1 verse 5 uh, that you dwell on. Just look down at chapter 1 verse 5. So it says, Jesus is faithful, firstborn and ruler. But then look at what it says next after the paragraph break in the Bible. It says, to the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. He is with us. He knows us. He is not fooled by all of my outward appearances, but he is with us as the one who loves us. Not past tense. Notice it's not that he loved us once, and has changed his mind. He loves us now. And there is a way in the past to be absolutely sure about his love. It's because he freed us from our sins by his blood. The death of Jesus tells us that he loves us. 
and tells us where our sins have gone. Um, however your work went last year uh, or your time with your family went over Christmas, this can be the time of year when we're particularly aware of our failures, can't it? He is the one who freed us from our sins by his blood. And John is our brother and companion in three things, in suffering, in patient endurance, and in the kingdom that is ours in Jesus. He has made us, verse 5, a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. And that service, the Christian life, it's certainly not a sprint, calls for patient endurance, but we are seen. We are seen by the one who rules over the kingdoms of the earth and is more powerful even than beasts and dragons and who is close by in full contact with how we are to love us and encourage us and strengthen us in the trials that he knows we have. And that is the one who has written to us some letters. Uh, Don't want to come back next week and read them. So as we reflect this week, to him, to Jesus, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.